Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 42 of A Yank on the Footy. I'm Craig Wessels from Sandusky, Ohio, and I'm thrilled that my guest is able to join me today. He's been a sports reporter since the age of 13. He's a published author. He's the former host of the Balls and All program on Mix 104.9 in Darwin, as well as being an English teacher. I'd like to welcome Jackson Clark to the podcast. Welcome, sir. Glad that you could join us and glad we've got some of our glitches hopefully resolved. Yeah, thank you very much. Obviously, as you said before off air, we are quite a long way away, so no doubt these things happen, mate, but it's all good. Glad to be here. I'm, I appreciate you taking time out of your evening. It's uh, it's great talking to someone who has as uh, great an understanding of the game and the, the ins and outs and just, you know, it, from what we had talked about offline, how much of an impact this game has had on your life already. So you began covering, you know, sports. You realized when you were 13 years old that you wanted to be a sports reporter. You know, most kids don't know at the age of 13 what they want to do as a career. How did that happen that you knew that at that young of an age? Yeah, I suppose football has been an obsession of mine since about five years old. I grew up following the game. I'm a mad Richmond supporter and have been for as long as I can remember. And a natural progression of that was playing the game. And I suppose as a 13-year-old, 12, 13-year-old, as a fringe player in these Northern Territory teams, I kind of realized that I probably didn't have the talent to make it real far in the next level. And I wasn't going to be uh, a player that was going to get drafted or anything like that. So I thought if I wanted to have a career in football or at least be around the game in a semi-permanent level, uh, it had to be something outside of my playing. So, yeah, I picked up the pen, I suppose. And while I was working for the uh, Top End Australian Football Association, which is now defunct, I was in the scoreboard and doing the timekeeping. And they asked me if I wanted to do a little preview for their grand final. And one thing led to another. And eventually I started writing the weekly recaps for a couple of the local newspapers, the Sun newspapers, which was... Uh, Darwin Sun, Palmerston Sun, and I believe there was another one, and it had pretty good circulation around the Northern Territory, I think around the 35,000 readership mark weekly, something like that, so that was a real kick as a 13, 14 year old in year 8, year 9, seeing your name under those articles in the paper, and yeah, I'm really grateful for the opportunities, both from the newspaper and from the association. Now, when, when you were playing, and as you, you described yourself as being a fringe player, uh, which... First of all, that you realizing that maybe I don't have the skill set to go and play this game at a at a uh, you know higher level as I get older. You know, first of all, that's something that not not a lot of kids necessarily recognize. But when you've recognized that and you realized, you know, I like talking about it, I like writing about it, that sort of thing. Did you find yourself uh, sitting down and uh, kind of doing almost little mock interviews with your teammates during the course of games and that sort of thing? Nah, I've always got a little bit awkward about that actually, trying to, I've wanted to separate my football and my writing as much as possible. For example, I still play football, I'm still really involved in that aspect and I don't like to necessarily break all the scoops that I hear about a football club or anything that I find out about a player. So that actually is a bit of a challenge that I've had to overcome over the years, sort of combining uh, my own interests as a footballer and as a coach and also what I do with my journalism. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, football is a massive passion of mine as a player and I'm still interested. I hope to play the game for as long as I can until my body breaks down. I'm still 26, so hopefully I have a few more years left uh, playing football. 
but yeah, writing, I suppose, that's a, that's a 30, 40 year career potentially. And with the way social media is going, it's just so exciting, all the different avenues. But yeah, I suppose it was a different pathway as a 13 or 14 year old, uh, writing about the game more so than, than playing and training for it um, compared to the other kids. But yeah, I suppose it was just another learning curve for me. When you write about the game, you're always surrounded by it and getting different perspectives on it. So if anything, it may have helped me as a footballer. That's terrific. Now, did your, did your parents, did your family encourage this, uh, this passion about writing as you were growing up? Or was, the, was there the push to, oh, no, just imp- improve your game, you'll get better? Or did they say, you know what, if this is something you love doing, go for it? Well, when I hear myself say things like as a 13-year-old, I realized that I didn't have the talent to pursue AFL and things like that. In a way, I don't feel that way in regards to how I would approach a 13-year-old. Like, I'm a school teacher, as you said in the introduction, and if a 13 or 14-year-old told me that they had a shortcoming, say they thought they didn't have the talent to play AFL or whatever career it might be, I would try to encourage them to push past that. And I'm not trying to say that I could have had the ability to play AFL if I worked harder. I certainly am not the most talented guy, and people that have watched me play football will attest to that but <laughs> I mean I, I do I do look get a bit disappointed talking like that I don't want to try and be put a negative spin on it um, but I do love uh, writing almost as much as playing I mean I do get that same adrenaline kick when you put an article up and you know you're going to get some criticism from it or not so much criticism but healthy debate um, and you get a lot of shares and stuff like that as much as it might seem a little bit corny you would know as a podcast to yourself those numbers um, it's like so social media experts say it's like slot machines. You do get that little adrenaline kick when someone shares or comments or likes yep. uh, something that you've created. So Absolutely. Is that um, little... Yeah, I mean... I, that dopamine rush kicks in, yep. Exactly right. Yeah. And it's probably more harmful uh, for some people. But yeah, I see it as a little bit of a game, just trying to improve the numbers and, and create some good content online. It's a lot of fun. A lot of people um, probably think I take it a bit more serious than what I actually do half the time when I'm writing these articles that look carefully curated. It's just, it's just me just sitting down, chilling, typing on my phone. So, um, yeah, it's, it, football's, football's good like that. You know, there's a role for everybody from the, the, the whatever, the timekeeper to the scoreboarder to a player to a coach to everyone. So how has, you know, and now that there are games being played in, uh, in Darwin, and we're going to talk about that here in a few minutes, how has, has COVID-19 impacted your writing this year, your reporting, has, or has it? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. I suppose um, getting very, well, not very technical, but I do have a marketing background as well. I have a marketing business, Jackson Clark Media. And uh, I've noticed with the way social media is going since the economic crisis because of covid there has been less advertising dollars thrown into these platforms like Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram. And because of that, I've noticed that engagement has been higher on normal posts. So if anything, I've had the biggest 12 months uh, from a social media perspective that I've had over the last 10 years. And I truly believe maybe that's because uh, people are at home reading more stuff online, engaging more, checking their phones more, and perhaps brands aren't putting out as much content and putting as much advertising dollars into these machines. So you were talking about, you know, how with the, the COVID-19 outbreak that you've seen a, a huge uptick 
in the traffic in terms of the material that you have online, which is, you know, if there's a silver lining, if you will, that's a, uh, that's a good one in your case. Now, while you've been, yeah. uh, well, I mean, it... go ahead. Sorry, keep going. No, I was actually going to go to another question, but go ahead and, and. Oh, no, no, no. I was just going to say it was a pretty small silver lining. So you might as well just keep going. Ask that other question. Yeah, I was going to say, while you've been working as a reporter for the last 13 years, what what have you found to be the most uh, inspirational story that you've covered? The one that, you know, maybe that you finished it up and you were like, I'm so glad I covered that. And it just kind of made you really feel good about yourself. I suppose inspirational may not be the word that I would use, but the stories that I feel most validated by are the ones that add a different perspective and a perspective that isn't told by the mainstream media and heard by the general public. And I suppose an example of that could be the William Rioli situation when he had the trouble that's still ongoing really with ASADA, the anti-doping organization. And I mean, on my football page, NT Football with Jackson Clark, I just wrote about my personal experiences with William and and I've been friends with William for a little while now. I've played in a couple of junior premierships with him, so there's no doubt in the world that my perspective was biased, but I felt as though uh, when the world is closing in on the bloke and you know you hear about him being a drug cheat and all these labels being spoken of Willie, I thought it was important to remember about the human behind it all and, and what he is as a person, how far he has come, um, and just, just talk about that aspect as well. And that luckily engaged pretty well. Uh, I felt as though I told aside to William that maybe some people haven't heard before and yeah I was really happy with with how that all turned out so it's the stories like that that get me the most satisfaction you know and I've read a few of your your pieces on uh Facebook do you and for those of you for those folks who haven't read any of your work yet and I hope they check out your your Facebook page and I will link it on the uh in the show notes do do you find that most of your stories tend to be the, you know, a lot of the human behind the story type things where you, you kind of, you know, dig into that person's life and try to, you know, show people the side of them that maybe they hadn't considered before? Well, I mean, I need a point of difference. I'm under no illusions that people aren't just going to follow a random guy on Facebook. You know, I haven't played the game at the elite level. So if I want an opinion about something, I need to offer something that other journalists don't and other reporters don't and I believe growing up in the Northern Territory has given me a very unique perspective. Um, it's a very small community in the Northern Territory. Most of the AFL players that are from the NT uh, know each other and, and by extension of that having grown up playing football with them um, I've got to know them as well so there's a bit of a personal relationship there with many of the players and uh, and that's I suppose allowed me to maybe give people an insight into their lives and I'd like to think that they're comfortable um, you know engaging with the football page which I'm very fortunate by that's a unique aspect that I sort of haven't really mentioned much or haven't thought about much until the other day where it's pretty cool that all the, a lot of these big name players are f comfortable enough to like comment or engage with my football page without the feel you know the need sorry without the fear that they might be ridiculed by someone from the public or, or sledged or something like that. And we know there's a lot of that going around at the moment. Well, and there has been a lot of that. You know, the, the recent thing, and I, I mentioned this in the most recent episode, is the people getting upset because, you know, I think it was, was it Callan Ward that had the, the questionable call at the end of the game yeah. that uh, 
that they turned into a, a, a meme or whatever. But then, you know, people making death threats about the fact that, that he had done something that cost them money in a, in a wager that they had made, which is, is ridiculous. It, you know, it's just, it's crazy yeah, that, that people exactly were. Right. I mean, oh, there's a lot of people. I think that it's a combination of a lot of things at the moment. That's probably true. That the world's in. A lot of people are very tense. And, uh, I mean, I think, I mean, I don't want to call it a storm in a teacup because the death threat should always be taken seriously. But I reckon it's just some guy that's gotten drunk, you know, had a bad day. His multi didn't come up and he's, he sent something that he probably shouldn't have sent, no doubt, to, to Callan Ward. So, um, hopefully these death threats were nothing to be taken too seriously and they were just, you know, just the antics of somebody that was disgruntled that his bet didn't come through. But there's obviously no doubt that AFL players shouldn't be subjected to that kind of nonsense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, back in 2017, you started a, uh, a program that, uh, you know, I, I think is, is a, uh, is a very worthwhile program. You started something called the Kicking the Stigma program, and can you tell the listeners a little bit about that, and uh, are you able to talk about what sparked your interest in starting that type of a program? Yeah, well, I think it's a huge issue in society, mental health, and there's no uh, nothing insightful about that comment. Everybody knows by now that uh, mental health affects a lot of people, especially during a time like this. Um, obviously, things were different in 2017, you know, something like what I did then, apart from the fact that logistically I wouldn't be able to do it in 2020, it would be more useful in 2020. But um, yeah, I mean, the Kicking the Stigma project was just an idea that was born out of trying to do something about sparking the conversation of mental health around football clubs. And football clubs is typically a really blokey environment. And I think over the, I suppose, 10 years that I've been playing senior football, I've noticed a shift in the right direction where footballers are becoming more open to their teammates about how they're feeling if they've uh, you know had a fight with their partner or having a bad day at work or something is bothering them off the field they're feeling more comfortable now opening up around their teammates in the change room and that's only a good thing I know that um, you know it wasn't always that way I suppose when I first started playing senior football and I couldn't even imagine what it was like in the 70s and 80s you know if you said that you couldn't train because you were struggling mentally or something like that you'd probably get a bunch of texts saying to harden up and things like that um and the tagline to the whole kicking the stigma project i was an ambassador for a charity called living and it was it ain't weak to speak and that was the whole message behind it all where uh, we need to foster an environment where if somebody feels the need that they need to get something off their chest or or talk to somebody that a football club can be a safe and inclusive place for people that's fantastic that's now is that is that carrying forward or is that something that was a campaign that, that went on that is kind of ended or is it, uh, or is it something that, that yeah, you, it was more or less a, well, I mean, it has continued in the sense that with my football page, I try to post messages as much as possible, um, about mental health and, okay. and not only that, I mean, you know, it's not, it's, all, it's not so much about bringing awareness, but it's also practically about posting, um, links to clients, 24-hour hotlines, because you never know when you can catch someone at the right moment. Somebody might be scrolling through that news feed and, uh, you know, they're a fan of football, fan of Northern Territory football. They see the post, they see the little hotline link there, and, and they might be having um, one of those days where they're thinking about doing something that has dire consequences. So uh, as much as, you know, when I'm having just a humble little footy page, I don't 
want to be thinking about things that deep. It's just the reality in the life that we live. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty hard, I suppose, with, with everything else that I'm juggling to continue having a more hands-on role with, with mental health things. But if I can do anything in regards to bringing awareness or getting behind other people that are creating programs and there's so much of that going on at the moment, then I'm always willing to offer my support. You know, you, you had the, the Kicking the Stigma program that you began back in 2017, and you, you did something rather unique in order to promote it. You kind of did a, uh, a continental tour, if you will. That was, uh, I thought, rather interesting. Yeah. yeah, so I suppose when you're trying to create attention and generate interest behind a cause such as mental health within football clubs, you have to do something spectacular and at first, I was brainstorming ideas for what I could do to bring attention. Could I ride 400 kilometers on a bike or run a marathon or something like that? And then I realized that maybe my ambition was outweighing my ability a little bit there. So <laughs> I thought I could play a little bit of local football. And I contacted a couple of football clubs. Well, I contacted, I think it was nine football clubs all up uh, in the end. And yeah, I was able to play one game of football in each state or territory in consecutive weeks, which... I don't know for sure, but I'm assuming that's never been done before. I did quickly check Brendan Favola and those people that used to play those one-off games all the time, and, and I couldn't see any records of anybody else doing it, so, so I'll run with it. But, yeah, it was a great opportunity. And one thing that I probably didn't appreciate at the time that having now coached a football club, I understand, was uh, the generosity of these football clubs. I mean, they, as much as it's all well and good to support a cause, they have their own seasons to worry about coaches are under pressure to win games things like that so to find a spot for me each week and some of these leagues and football clubs that allowed me to play for them I played for Lara in the Geelong Football League which is arguably the best league outside of the VFL in Victoria so um, I was aware of that uh, responsibility to come in and not just have my talk but also play some good football and and contribute in that way too so yeah it was a crazy journey really something that I'll always be proud of um, and yeah just very fortunate really it's you realize that there's a lot of good people in the world when you do something like that because there's always somebody that's popping up with a message of support um, and look no further than Tom Rockliffe, uh, AFL player, who I've never met before, I don't really have any strong connections with, just sent me a message out of the blue on my Facebook page and um, asked for my bank details and transferred $500 and posted on his social media and this was off, off his own bat. I think I think there may have been another guy, which, which brings me back to the topic of generosity in Queensland, who um, also donated and, and passed the link on to Tom Rockliffe as well, but didn't want any, didn't want any public acknowledgement and fanfare. So you realize there's some pretty amazing people in the world. Well, th that might have been the gentleman in Queensland that you mentioned that wanted to remain anonymous. Maybe that was somebody who had dealt with some of the issues that you were trying to highlight that was, you know, still had in his mind that, oh, I don't want to go ahead and make it public kind of thing. I don't want to mention it to people. I mean, that's Well, potentially. And not only that, I mean, it's well and good to say that, uh, you know, a certain proportion of the public goes through mental health issues, but everybody is affected by mental health issues because, in my opinion, it is mental health issues uh, that materialize into other issues in society, such as domestic violence and crime and it's not a justification in any way shape or form but i believe if we can get on top of these mental health issues and be a little bit more open about our feelings <coughs> and get the resources in place um we'll have a lot of better effects in those areas as well i think that absolutely is correct and it's 
it's admirable that you that you got this started and that you did this and helped to bring the recognition and it and I have to tell you that's something that as being a uh, an American sports fan looking from the outside in I'm amazed that uh, that how open people are to talk about this you know the issue of mental health in in this game because it it's just really beginning here in the states with with the uh, the professional sports here but it, it's something that that people are not necessarily afraid to to put out there you know they, they've got themselves you know where that where they feel not necessarily comfortable with it but they realize that you know what there's not going to be necessarily that stigma that might have been attached previously had I had I brought this up yeah, no doubt and I mean there's always going to be not so much a stigma but there's always going to be difficulties for people with mental health issues to talk about it it's it really isn't um as much as I say the tagline to that living foundation when I did the kick in the stigma tour was it ain't weak to speak as much as it isn't weak to speak it's not easy to speak so uh as much as there's helplines out there and there's a lot of people there to support you uh, a lot of people understand you know it's, it's very difficult to to get those words out but um the thing that interests me the most is the majority of people nearly every person that i spoke to that has gotten professional help and has spoken to somebody that's qualified has uh, turned their not turned their life around but has seen some great improvements so yeah i mean like uh, that's one thing about what i'm doing too I'm, I'm nowhere near a mental health professional and and prepared to offer advice and things like that but um yeah i mean it, you know we, we know that treatment and talking to a counselor or talking to somebody that you love can only offer uh, positive benefits absolutely well and in in the profession that you and i work in as well we we tend to see a lot of th- those types of things that tend to manifest themselves in in the people that we work with whether they be our coworkers or the maybe the students that sit in our classroom and i'm i'm not going to get into any specifics on that but it's but you know we we see kids who bring what you know what i would call baggage with them every day that they have things going on at their homes that we could never possibly imagine what's happening there you know that that the classroom 100% that the classroom obviously, could be their safe space. Yeah, obviously it's very difficult. Exactly, mate, exactly. Obviously it's very difficult um, to talk explicitly and give specific examples, but I think that's one area um, where as teachers, collectively, we can improve on uh, getting better perspectives on where our students have come from, um, what baggage they come into the classroom with, what their home lives are like, and you know we'll never get a full perspective on it, but... Um, it's it's very difficult. I've, you know, I'm sure you've we've both met students that we know have it have it very very tough at home. It's not a matter of just them getting their one hour of reading time and homework time before bed at night. It's um a lot more dire than that normally. So yeah, yeah, yep. It's yeah. I've it's been reality, unfortunately. I have been uh, I've been teaching longer than you've been alive. So uh, so I'm <laughs> I'm uh. There you go. I, I'm in the home stretch in terms of getting close to be being retired, but it's uh, you know, I I wish that I, you know, had more of an understanding because I, I and I try to be very empathetic with with the kids in the classroom, you know i I tell my I tell my students that you know that I'm when I talk in class and that sort of thing. I said, guys, I'm loud, but I don't yell. 
because there's, you know, to me, there's a difference between those two things. I'm, you know, I can be very bombastic and outgoing and that sort of thing, but I'm, I'm not somebody that, that yells at people to try to make a point, you know, so it, it just, I don't think that's very productive. So I don't know if that's something. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. There's, there's far more. No, exactly right. I think, um, I think communication is a tool that we can all get better at, you know, and, and I'm sure that's something that you've developed over the years as well. And something that I'll develop over the years and, and it's always something I'm looking to improve on and what all teachers should be looking to improve on. And people, really, like without getting too philosophical here, if we can all be better communicators, the world would be a better place. Exactly. So getting back to footy, which, you know, this is, uh, you know, this is kind of the, the focus of this, but I'm glad we talked about the, you know, the other aspect of this and education, that sort of thing, because it's something that we both are involved with. Uh, for those of us in the United States and, and maybe even those people in Australia who have not traveled to Darwin before because, you know, I don't know, you know, it's, it's warm there. It's very, I've heard it's very humid as well, if I'm not mistaken. You've heard correctly. But, uh, You've def- you know, definitely not mistaken. Can you, can you describe for the listeners, you know, what is a, what is a typical, you know, game day like in the, uh, you know, the AFL Northern Territories, you know, and that sort of thing in terms of the climate and, and just the whole, you know, the whole gamut in terms of what, what's going on there during a game. Yeah, honestly, it's about survival sometimes, mate. It's <laughs> unbelievable, the weather. I hope it doesn't sound like I'm exaggerating this, but I've been up in Darwin my whole life. I've played football up here my whole life, and there really isn't anything like it. The ball is super slippery because of the sweat and the humidity. Um, I've played a lot of football in Victoria and a supposedly dry night in Darwin is slipperier to handle the ball than a wet day in Victoria. So um, it's very hard to play football up here. And you notice that when footballers from down south come up and sometimes they find it a little hard to acclimatize to the conditions and it takes them a little while to create an impact on the competition. But as you said, it's just a crazy climate. It's very hot. Um, the way the fixturing is, most of the games are scheduled around TIO Stadium, which is our main venue. So they're played one after another. And the early game can sometimes start at 2.30, which is peak humidity and peak uh, weather temperature in Darwin. So that's mainly played. Tiwi Bombers, because they have to take the flight back onto the islands, uh, play that game. So credit to them. That's why they have that reputation as being able to outrun teams in the last quarter and and they had that momentum, and they're such a good team. So, yeah, very, very difficult conditions, mate. Uh, I think it's something that all footballers in Australia should try and venture up north and experience it because there really is nothing like it. Yeah, we were talking about the level of competition, and, you know, as you said, that there were some players that, depending upon their situation and, you know, their age, that they, you know, that they could have been, been playing at the highest level. You look at somebody like Tim Kelly, who spent five years playing for uh, I think it was South Fremantle that he played for before. Yeah. And, and he never got picked up by, you know, you know, he's right in the backyard of the Dockers and the Eagles. And it took, you know, a team, you know, a couple States away to get, to give him a shot. And I mean, I'm thrilled that, you know, as a cat supporter, I'm, I would have loved to still see him there, but thrilled to see him be able to get back home. But, you know, it's, it's great to see somebody get a, an opportunity to play even at his, you know, his advanced age at that point in time of being 23, uh, which, you know, cause that's, you know, that right there is, you know, amazing that the people who are playing at the highest level are, are so young. 
yeah, that is that is a uh, that's an interesting um, an interesting thing because you know you, you generally you, know, you look at like the NFL you know the the younger people are maybe 21 22 who are coming in but it's, it's such a a culture shift I would think for somebody to to go from playing you know local you know living at home with their parents to, to being you know hundreds if not thousands of kilometers away from home No doubt. It's a big culture shift and that's something that a lot of Territorians struggle with, I suppose, making that adjustment. I don't think it's as profound as a lot of people think. I know of a lot of footballers who I think slipped a little in the draft or weren't given opportunities at the time they probably should have because of those concerns, homesickness and things like that. Uh, a lot of Territorian footballers can adapt better than people think, but at the same time, it is still something that exists uh, within the footballers up here. So. Yeah, it's a big it's a big change, and I think AFL play AFL clubs also need to take responsibility and ensure that uh, there's programs in place and resources to help these young kids who are essentially eighteen or nineteen years old moving away from their families. Yeah, that's a, yeah. It is uh, it's and, and it's an, it's a testament to the maturity of of the players as well to to handle the pressures that are there because, you know, they're, they're doing something that, you know, that they love to do, but now they're doing it outside of that, that bubble that they had done it in where they kind of had that, you know, social safety net of their family and parents and that type of thing. So, you know, the, the players have to be commended for what they're doing as well. So, yeah. It's a big job. So next round, round 13 is, is, uh, is the Sir Douglas Nichols round. And, uh, the, the the league has has made the decision and it, I think it's a terrific one to actually be playing two games up at uh is it TO Stadium in uh in Darwin. So you've got uh Gold Coast and Carlton playing on the Friday night of that round and then you have the uh the Dreamtime game of Richmond and Essendon being played on Saturday. Now what does it what does it mean for for the city, for the community and I saw your article that you posted the other day that, that said that there's going to be rather limited um, attendance. It was like 3,700 people, I think, you said, that we're going to be able to attend. Uh, I think it's, I think 5,461 tickets are up for sale. I don't know if that's the capacity. I think the capacity, when you count everybody else and the corporates and stuff like that, might be around about the 7.5 mark. But I don't know the exact figure. Okay. But what does it mean, though, for that, for, yeah, you know, especially you know games of this round to be played in Darwin. Is that is it something that the people are are extraordinarily excited about? Oh, for sure. I think if you allowed open slab the capacity and basically there was no limit that it would draw a record crowd. That's the level of interest, and of course that's to be expected. Two powerhouse clubs, Essendon and Richmond, playing in. What I think is probably my favourite fixture, at least on the football calendar, the Dreamtime game. I've been to a couple. I was fortunate enough to go to my first uh, ever game at the MCG was a Dreamtime game uh, back in 2005 when I was 11. So it's pretty special to me. Uh, the game itself, uh, even on a personal level, like my father's an Essendon supporter. I know a lot of Essendon supporters and I'm a mad Richmond guy. So there's always, always that bit of spice added in. But in regards to what it means to Darwin and the Territory community, it basically means everything. I think you'll find Richmond and Bombers are probably the two most supported clubs up here. Um, the symbolism of having 
the Dreamtime game, which is paying homage to the Indigenous contribution to the game and having it in the Northern Territory, where, of course, it, we've produced so many great Indigenous footballers um, and continue to do so. It's, it's a great sort of mix there where, uh, where everything comes together. So it's, it's really great. I mean, there's a little bit of, a, little bit of I don't know the right word, but it's a bit bad that we can't get a full capacity. Um, but, you know, it's, it's unprecedented time. So I think we just have to, have to be grateful for what we do have. Now, for, from what I recall, the, 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 the league was generally scheduling like one game per season to be played in Darwin. One regular season game. I, I remember a couple of years ago, Melbourne played a game there, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, yeah, Melbourne and Gold Coast Suns play a lot of football. Well, not a lot of football. They play. They have a contract to play games up in the Northern Territory. Alice Springs and Darwin. Do you, Do you wish that the uh, that the league would consider bringing you know more games there, like they do to to Tasmania during you know a non you know non pandemic season? Well, of course I do, but at the same time, you have to be realistic about things, and I don't know the costs involved with bringing a game up here and what clubs lose. You know, it's a push and pull situation here. Every game that you bring up here, you're taking it away from somebody. So if you're playing, let's say the Melbourne Demons are playing four games up here instead of one, do they really want to sacrifice three extra games in Melbourne? I think long term you could maybe work out a deal with the Gold Coast Suns that's a little bit different they're still trying to establish a supporter base and could probably benefit from playing uh, a couple of games up in the Northern Territory especially once uh, with the Suns Academy we'll see more and more Northern Territory players playing for Gold Coast in the AFL so I think that's something you could look at uh, bringing more games to the Territory through the Gold Coast Suns but yeah it's a bit complicated I don't think it's realistic to say oh, we should be having Essendon and Richmond play every year or every second year or something like that. So, yeah, it's it's a longer conversation than just hoping for more games, but it would certainly be great. Don't worry about that. So the Suns, the Suns and I this is I hadn't realized this, the Suns, have, they've established an academy in Darwin? Well, the Gold Coast Suns have their own academy. Uh-huh. But, uh, NT players who are eligible to get drafted. I think the Darwin-based ones, the Gold Coast get first dibs on them. So most of the boys that have been drafted in the recent years would have been eligible, I suppose, to go to the Suns if if that was around at the time. But yeah, it's uh, something that I think is really exciting for young Territory players, that opportunity there. It's a bit more of a clearer pathway, I feel. Yeah, elite system, and and they've they've been a, you know even though they've struggled to win games here recently, they've been a fun club to watch this year. Uh, it's been it's been enjoyable. Yeah, 100%. I think it's everyone's second club. Well, maybe not. I wouldn't go that far, but it should be everyone's second club in the Northern Territory. You know, it was, uh, and I, I think it, it's 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 vitally important because you know the, you know the the AFL has invested so heavily in trying to ensure that that Gold Coast be as successful as their as their partner club that they kind of came into the competition with 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 GWS and they've you know they've you know they've struggled to put a quality club on the field consistently so it, it's nice to see what looks like is the the ground floor of what could be a very solid list here for the next you know five six eight ten years so. yeah no doubt and that would be the key to gaining support winning games of football so 
if they can do that, I think they'll find that a lot of other things fall into place for the Suns. Right, right. So you've you were all, you know you're, you're a teacher by trade, and, and how long have you been teaching? I graduated in mid twenty seventeen, so three years. Okay, okay. So you've been teaching for a, a few years now. You've also uh, you published your first uh, ebook here recently, and this one I thought was rather an interesting title that I, I'd like to learn more about. That uh, called "Digital Marketing for Educators," and can you tell us a little bit about yep. what that was? Yeah, so that's just a book that I've written for educators, basically. Probably not so much uh, teachers, even though I do think they could get something out of it. More so the school business manager and principals, assistant principals, looking for growth strategies online to attract more students, to build the brand around the school and build on the culture that no doubt schools work so hard to develop. Um, I think everyone's moving to an online world. Well, that transition started over a decade ago, but it'll only be more profound in the coming years. And as we've seen other industries go to the online world a lot of schools appear to be left behind some schools barely even have a presence on facebook and instagram and things like that and it can be tricky to navigate through uh, for most principals and assistant principals so hopefully this book that i've written you did say published it's completely finished but it hasn't been published just yet that's to come within the next sort of month or so okay um but yeah hopefully that can be a resource for for people in the education field and not all not only uh in the school setting but also people like uh, those that run karate studios or they teach guitar or swimming lessons, things like that. Anywhere that we're trying to attract students. That's, that's terrific. And that's where your marketing background has come in to, to help out with that. And you've, you've got a couple of other books that you have in the, in the pipeline that are going to be coming out as well, supposedly this year? Yeah, definitely by the end of the year. Okay. Uh, assuming there's no COVID-19 complications, but both books are pretty much written and done. So, uh, yeah, one book is The History of the St. Mary's Football Club, which I used to play for the St. Mary's Football Club. I actually play for Darwin Buffaloes, which is a rival club now. But uh, the St. Mary's Football Club, uh, they are one of the greatest football clubs in Australia. Their winning record speaks for itself. They've won over 30 premierships in just over 60 years existence. They're averaging about a flag every two years. So it's an insane record. Um, they've had very little failures within the football club, I suppose. They won their first wooden spoon two seasons ago, uh, which shocked everybody pretty much. And they even still, that wooden spoon was off a six-win season. So hmm. they are a very successful football club. They've uh, been the breeding ground for players like Michael Long, Cyril Rioli, uh, the, the list goes on and a whole bunch of players that have made an impact in state leagues, especially South Fremantle Football Club and even earlier before that, South Adelaide Football Club. So, yeah, I think that's going to be great, obviously, if you're a fan of not just uh, NT football, but if you want to know about a successful club and get some stories about what made that football club so great. So hopefully that will be out later in the year, as you said. And the other book that I'm writing is A History of the Top End Australian Football Association, which... If you might remember, that was in the very start of the interview, the competition that I worked for when I was doing the scoreboards and timekeeping and things like that. And that's just been a fun little project that I actually started writing when I was 15. I uh, started writing and writing and writing. And what happens is I ended up with a Word document of about 150 pages. And um, as a 15 to 19-year-old, the last thing you want to do uh, when, you know, when you discovered 
alcohol and girls and good times and stuff like that <laughs> is to write a silly book. So I basically procrastinated for about five or six years and got back to it finally um, at the beginning of this year, did a bit of work, spoke to a few people and, and it's a blessing in disguise really. Had I had finished it as a, as a teenager, it would have been sloppy and it just wouldn't have got the full story. A lot's happened in the last 10 years. Um, some football clubs from the old tier for days are, are prospering and in better shape than they've ever have been. Others are, are really struggling to keep their head above water. So uh, that, that side of it can be added to the story now as well. And um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to releasing both of those projects later in the year. Terrific. That's, that's, that is, uh, it's commendable that you're able to, you know, to have so many different uh, things up and running and different projects going. And, and you know, you have so many different, you know, the saying that we might use here is, you know, hey, you have so many different irons in the fire, if you will, to, uh, the, uh-huh. you know, whether it be, you know, your reporting, your teaching, your, your writing as well. And it's, uh, it is, it's great to, to be able to talk to somebody who has a, a, a passion about the, uh, the game at, at the territorial level there that, uh, and is able to provide those linkages to, the higher level as well as going, you know, down to the lower levels because you have those connections with all of those people. And, you know, it's, it's just really, it's been rewarding to be able to talk to you today about this and to get an understanding of, of, you know, exactly the efforts that you're putting in to, to help people understand the importance of the game in, in your part of the country. And it's, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate you, coming on and, and sticking with me through all of the little glitches that we have had this morning or this evening, mm-hmm. because uh, hopefully I will do a decent enough editing job that people won't notice. But uh, there have been a number of well, times. I hope it doesn't sound like I'm grumpy. I hope it doesn't seem like that I've answered the phone and yes, all right, mate, what's the next question? No. It, yeah, I genuinely haven't. It's been all good. I haven't had much to do tonight, so no stress whatsoever. No, I haven't. Uh, I grumpy was not even a word I would have thought. So no, there no worries there at all. So I appreciate you, you know, taking time out of your evening. I hope that, uh, I hope that you have a wonderful weekend. I know that, uh, I'm looking forward to tomorrow to the, uh, the cats and power game. Cause I think that, uh, that could be a, uh, a great matchup. So hopefully, mm. oh, but yeah, no doubt. you know, I, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to, uh, to thank my guest, uh, Jackson Clark, for joining me this evening. Uh, Jackson, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to sit down and chat with me. It's been a lot of fun. It's been great to learn about the, uh, the game from you know a part of the country that, that, other than seeing some pictures and that type of thing, I'm not that familiar with. And I, I, I hope that, you know, that this wasn't too taxing on you with regards to the, uh, all of the glitches and such. So I hope you enjoyed it. It was it was a great learning experience for myself, so I truly appreciate it. No, mate, all good. I understand that. I'm grinding away on my own podcast as well, Off the Play on YouTube, if you want to subscribe to that. Uh, and I know the failures and the the frustrations involved with trying to organize something like this, mate. So I'm happy to persist for as long as it takes, mate. All good. Okay, well... I, again, I appreciate you coming on and thanks so very much. And I will, I will definitely look up the podcast and put a link to that in the uh, show notes as well. Cause that was something I was not familiar with. And I, I wish I had asked you about that, but uh, 
<laughs> so how yeah, it's only in the very beginning stages, don't worry. Well, it's it's another it's another iron in the fire, if you will. So <laughs> well, hopefully hopefully something ignites. There you go. Absolutely. Well, thanks so very much. I'd like to thank my guest, Jackson Clark, for joining me this evening. Jackson, thanks so very much for taking time out of your evening to sit down and chat. I really enjoyed it. We had a few glitches that we had to work through. Hopefully we got everything resolved. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And like I said, I do hope that you enjoyed it. And ladies and gentlemen, one of my goals recently has been to uh, create a mailing list. And I'll just mention again that the, uh, the sign-up sheet for that is on the show notes. If you'd like to sign up, you'll be the first people to get every new episode that gets released when it comes out. I'll send those directly to you. I'm hoping to do a live episode sometime in the near future and uh, would love to be able to send out invitations to those people on that list to come on and listen to a live episode and contribute to that. So if you'd like to sign up, that's available to you there if you'd like to do so. And also, if you happen to have an idea for a show topic or maybe a guest or somebody that you know that would be worthwhile coming on the show, maybe it's you and... uh, you would like to suggest that person, by all means, you can shoot me an email. You could send me a DM on Twitter. You could uh, reach out to me on a Yank on the Footy on uh, Instagram or on Facebook as well. And don't forget that while you can find all the episodes for this podcast at a Yank on the Footy.podbean.com, you can also find it on your favorite podcast provider. Hopefully, you'll consider uh, giving me a review on Apple Podcasts. You know, I'd love a five-star if you think I've earned that, but I'd appreciate your honesty. And uh, you can leave comments on the Podbean app if you'd like to. You can also, like I said, reach out to me on Twitter. You can reach out to me at my email at yankonthefooty at gmail.com. Remember, Twitter is at yank underscore on. And you can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at yankonthefooty. I'd like to thank Mr. Joseph McDade for the use of a couple of pieces of his music using the, the tunes Backplate and Elevation. Mr. McDade has created some fantastic music. You can find his music at josephmcdade.com slash music. You can also find his music on Spotify as well. Again, Mr. McDade, thanks a heck of a lot. And ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who are listening in Victoria, we're thinking about you. Keep battling. Keep doing what you need to do to keep yourself safe. We're battling here. You know, we have a lot of misinformation that's coming out we uh we're scheduled to go back to school a couple of days a week and then all week and then our county board of health here said nope you're gonna have to go online and then our school board decided nope we're gonna go back to the classroom five days a week so there's a possibility that the uh the county board of health may shut us down anyway and turn us into an online school for the first nine weeks of the grading period so we're kind of playing it by ear so It's been an interesting couple of weeks here as we're getting ready to gear up to go back to school beginning next uh, Friday, if I'm not mistaken, is my first day that I have to be back working in my classroom preparing for the year. So, folks in Victoria, we're thinking about you. Okay, those of you who are in South Australia and Western Australia and up in Queensland who are able to be watching footy, enjoy it. There are a lot of us that are envious of you. Of course, I'm envious if you're watching footy wherever you happen to be, Um, but (laughs) we're going to get through this. So just stay, uh, stay focused on what's going to happen at the end. You know, do what you need to do to keep yourself safe. 
and be be that person that reaches out to talk to your friends and family members, to touch base with them, to let them know that you're thinking about them. Don't let them hang out there and linger without uh, any kind of contact, whether it be FaceTime or something of that nature or instant messenger or a DM on Twitter or a phone call. Let them know you're thinking about them, okay? Let them know because these are tough times we're going through. We got to work on this to get through it together. Now, ladies and gents, I want to thank you for listening because while many of us are fans of our teams, deep down we're all fans of a game that we love, and that's the game of footy. And for those of you who are starting to watch the games here in the U.S. and in Canada, don't forget that Australian rules football, it's why they invented the DVR. Now, hopefully some of you have started watching the games live. It takes some uh, getting used to staying up to all hours of the day. I had a couple 20-plus hours over the last uh, week or so with the football frenzy going on here. So, in a way, I'm excited about it going back to a... Friday, Saturday, Sunday type situation, even a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday situation if need be, just so I can, uh, you know, meter my time and maybe get a little bit more than three or four hours of sleep. So, (laughs) but enjoy the games this week, folks. I will be back with another episode here in another day or two to give you my tips for round 13. I'm also still working on my, uh, my episode on, uh, Sir Douglas Nichols. I'm hoping to have that out before round 13 as well. So a couple new episodes besides this one. And ladies and gents, again, I thank you so very much. I ask that you consider sharing this podcast with your friends and family. And may your dribble kick never hit the post. I'll catch you later. This has been episode number 42 of A Yank on the Footy. Don't forget that you can reach me at yank underscore on on Twitter or at at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at A Yank on the Footy. Again, thanks for listening. I appreciate it. And I appreciate it if you would consider sharing the podcast, whether it be this episode or the entire podcast itself, a link with your friends and family. It would be great if you would do that. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, goodbye.